0: sawbones a marital tour of misguided medicine I'm your co-host Justin McElroy
1: and I'm Sydney McElroy well Sid <laughs> yes Justin I were you don't... waiting for me because typically you talk first and... I
0: do talk first but I don't know what to say I, I'll say this I don't know that I've ever seen you research a topic as much as you research this one
1: well I knew it seemed that...
0: like for the past week mm-hmm. anytime I asked you like hey what are you doing I'm I'm researching
1: well, I I knew this one was gonna be controversial and I wanted to make sure I understood all sides of the controversy and that I could explain it well.
0: Okay. Now I'm on pins and needles. Don't keep uh, me suspense anymore.
1: So we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna take on GMO. Okay. Genetically modified organisms.
0: So you've already put yourself in a in a conflict position by saying we're gonna take on Maybe we're just going to have a freewheeling, chill (laughs) discussion about genetically modified organisms.
1: Listen, Justin, I thought at one point on this show, I was going to have a just chilled out, freewheeling conversation about fluoride and And what happened. Look look where that
0: (laughs) went. You still can't shake
1: that. I still get emails. Uh, No, I there's a lot of misinformation surrounding GMOs. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, and I feel like that this is one of those areas where science, sometimes scientists have difficulty communicating what they're doing and why they're doing it to lay people. Because it's complicated and it's sciencey, and we use a lot of jargon and there are ways to explain it. And, and sometimes people just don't take the time or they don't know exactly how to communicate that. And so then you get a lot of, confusion and fear okay um, and I know GMO seems like a food thing like most people think of GMO as uh, produce and things like that or, right. or GMO but uh, there are many medical applications already and future that are being done so this is a very medical topic okay great all right so do you know what a GMO is a genetically modified organism do you yeah. know what it is
0: yes but I'm very
1: smart do You want to explain it or would you like me to do that?
0: Uh, why don't I try usually a good way of handling? This is I try and then you sort of build upon the the build upon the very solid foundation mm. that I have laid sure go for it um, Genetically modified organism is an organism. That's I mean it's right there in the, that part Yeah,
1: you used one of the words in the definition, which I think is a, a living thing.
0: Uh-huh. That's an organism a living thing that has had its uh, the 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 its core DNA altered either mm-hmm. through gene splicing or through selective breeding.
1: That's pretty good, Justin. Thanks, Sid. That's very good. Thanks. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's basically if you've altered the genetic code of something, it has become a genetically modified organism.
0: And and I and I think the only sort of other thing that I would say is like that the the the, the name implies a. There's obviously like evolution dictates that there is genetic modification happening constantly in our environment. When we say GMO, we we tend to think man engineered. Artificial. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um and there are do you know how we do it?
0: Like honestly, Sid, I've the selective breeding, sure. I
1: And I'll get into what selective breeding is and artificial selection and that kind of thing.
0: But like the gene slicing thing, every time I think about it, I think of like a very tiny (laughs) knife, (laughs) just just like had some part cut out of it. I have literally no idea about that.
1: Well, that's, that's the thing. So we're taking DNA from one thing and putting it into the DNA of another thing, right?
0: So blood, take (laughs) blood out and put it in
1: another There has to be a way to cut up the DNA and put. Pieces new pieces of DNA in there, right? Right. You can't just do that by like stirring it together You don't just dump all the DNA in a beaker and swish it around and you get new things that doesn't work Um, The ways we tend to do it are we use things that Naturally like in they already cut up DNA and insert things into it. That's what they do the most common examples are viruses or bacteria that part of the way they infect things is they get inside a cell they get into the DNA, they cut it up and put their DNA in there, and then sometimes that will make the cells start making more viruses or bacteria or whatever it is, mm-hmm. or certain proteins, whatever it wants it to express. So we know that these things already exist, so we have used these as vehicles to alter DNA intentionally. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. Because then we can put the DNA we want into the virus or bacteria, it will introduce it into the cell, put it in there, and then it starts producing whatever we want it to do. Okay, got it. That makes sense. There's also a gene gun. Nice. That exists, and it that's shoots so these these little particles that are coated with DNA into a plant cell. That's wild. Yes, that is wild. I'm not going to focus on that as much. So what why shame. would...
0: That seems Ill, Ill, <laughs> ill-conceived, Sid.
1: So the first question would be, why do we GMO? Why do we do this?
0: Um, I think, well, like I can guess for like produce, we want stuff that's like bigger and juicier if it's supposed to be juicy if it's not supposed to be juicy you do not want to select for juiciness no but like that kind of stuff like good
1: to make something meet our needs better right so make a crop hurtier make a tomato tastier make a bacteria that breaks down pollutants there's something interesting there, and then there's some more medical applications, though, that we'll get into. I learned
0: in um, Awana that all of these things are here for our pleasure and enjoyment, so shaping <laughs> them makes perfect sense to me.
1: I see this is the, this is the view that you that is a very negative view of this. What? And I'm going to tell you why this is a very negative view of this because this is not new. That that idea. What you just said, like that, animals and plants are all here for our pleasure and for us to shape to meet our needs. Yes, and I don't
0: name we get to name them too. a big.
1: I don't. I don't know that all of our listeners would necessarily agree with that viewpoint or I'm just find saying it what I learned pleasant. in Awana.
0: Sydney. Approved workmen are not ashamed. I'll, that's. I'm <laughs> just telling you what I learned in Iwana
1: Now we have been trying to grow the best crops and breed the best animals for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. We have evidence of this as far back as 32,000 years ago. When in East Asia, wild dogs were selectively bred to accompany hunters. Hunters found them and liked them. And some of them were nicer than others. So they took the ones that were nice, hung out with them, bred them with other nice dogs. And eventually they became, you know, corgis or whatever. Like eventually we got dogs. <laughs> got it. That's that's how that happened. They were, they were wild dogs. They were wolves. They were artificially selected for a trait that humans enjoyed. We liked the nice ones. So we kept the nice ones not too nice
0: because there's are still like
1: hunt, hunting partners right well eventually they got really nice i yeah. mean s- some dogs are quite nice i am led to believe some some boys are good <laughs> there's some good boys <laughs> i don't have a dog but some of them are nice uh but so that's i mean we've been doing that that's called selective breeding or artificial selection we take things that we like and we breed them and then we get more of the thing that we like right, right. that makes sense um this works it just takes you know, thousands of years right. for that to work. You're not going to, the, ne- the like, you're not going to take a slightly docile dog, a slightly docile wolf and another slightly docile wolf and breed them together and get a pet. Right. It's not going to happen in one turn. It's going to take a long time. And
0: they only had, back 32,000 years ago, they probably only had a few gene guns to go around. <laughs> so they had to make use of, the, of what they had.
1: They had, to, they had to do things the old-fashioned way, J-Man. Mm, oh, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Let's not go there. Yeah. (laughs) So plant artificial selection probably dates back to uh, 7800 BCE with wheat crops. That was probably the first time that people started picking things that grew better and replanting that. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's basically what you were looking for. The plants that grew the best or tasted the best or made the best whatever you're trying to make with them. And this is where we have evidence of that happening, though. But a, but a probably better example, if you want to see how selective breeding and artificial selection from thousands of years ago has borne out effects now, is corn. So corn originally, where it comes from, corn that we like, that we eat, that's sweet and yummy, and inexplicably zero points on Weight Watchers, corn was originally a wild grass called teosinte. It had these teeny little ears with just a few kernels on each one. Oh, so is baby corn. Over time, from us taking the ones that were bigger and had more kernels and bigger ears and breeding those together, over time, we have introduced these giant, yummy ears of sweet corn that we eat now. Okay. that's the, So that that, that is good. thousands good of years of us. evolution of corn from, from us selecting what we like. And it was not... There was no malicious intent, like, I'm going to breed out of existence this wild grass. It was just, I like this sweet corn. I want to make it, I want to keep growing that. And that's how that happens.
0: No, but listen, but let's, let's be honest. Nobody was, like, bummed out about the wild grass. It was pointless. I, I, tiny, I assume. R- I don't know. I would like to see one of those tiny, ridiculous ears of corn, <laughs> just for, with my own eyes. I do miss that. I wish that wasn't extinct, but other than that.
1: Corn is one example. Over time, we know that apples have are sweeter than their predecessors were because we like sweet apples. Mm-hmm. Broccoli is larger because it was easier. We like big broccoli. We like big broccoli.
0: A big old broccoli. <laughs>
1: well, imagine the effort it takes to grow broccoli. Like, I'm not that broccoli is particularly hard, but like if you're a farmer and you're growing something and it produces this teeny, teeny little head of broccoli and that's it. Yeah. If you can find a specific plant that has a much bigger head and you think, oh, I'd rather grow a bunch of those because then I have more to eat and eventually more to sell or trade or whatever, whatever era we're in, whether we're bartering or whatever. Uh, So you can see where that would, where that would happen. Now, all of this that we're talking about again is while I'm using the word artificial seems natural, right? Mm Mm-hmm because nobody's doing any it, i think as soon as you take something i mean the it's lab, obviously not
0: natural but i know what you're saying
1: it, well it seems i i think it's a lot closer like a lot of people would accept that as like well that's just what happens natural selection and artificial selection in this sense i mean the only the only thing that's artificial about it is we're introducing humans
0: mm-hmm. and we're natural
1: well we're we're part of the food chain too right but I think that we can accept that this is going to happen on a certain level. So in 1973 is when we first start what we kind of think of now as GMO, where, where I think people start to get concerned and worried about yeah. the genetic modification process. So Herbert Boyer and Stanley Cohen figured out a technique in 1973 that would lead to everything that we know about GMO now. They were working with bacteria and antibiotic resistance. So we know that certain bacteria cannot be killed by some antibiotics, right? They're resistant to them. Mm-hmm. They were able to find the gene in a bacteria that gave it that resistance. This is the gene that, once it's turned into proteins, protects the cell from that antibiotic. If we take this gene out of this bacteria and put it into a different bacteria that usually that is killed by that antibiotic, can that bacteria become resistant as well? That was the question. Can we do it and will it work? And it did. And this was the beginning of of GMO technology now I know that seems really crazy why why would we want to make more bacteria resistant to antibiotics right um, obviously that was not the that was an example we're
0: humans that, <laughs> and we just do things
1: no this is a there's a reason why this was very helpful it's a marker if you have done all this splicing how do you know that it worked You've got a bunch of cells now in a petri dish how do you know that they have the DNA you want oh, in
0: them? you can tr- you can introduce some antibiotics and yes and if they
1: the are product. resistant then you have introduced the DNA so if you introduce that antibiotic resistance gene with a gene that's helpful now you then you can test it to see if it worked by applying the antibiotic. so that's right. why it's a marker right okay so that's this is done a lot and that's why that's done I think that's important to understand so Another scientist who uh, eventually would become a Nobel Prize winner, Paul Berg, was working with slightly different genetic modification because this was all this research was going on at the same time. They were the first two to figure it out. But a lot of different scientists were trying to figure out how can we move DNA from organism to organism. So he was working with something called Simian virus 40. This is a virus that causes cancer in rats. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, it did so by infecting a cell and putting its DNA into the cell's DNA, which obviously is what we're trying to do so if you put the genes into the virus it will also insert those into the infected cell just like we kind of thought would happen um this was very exciting because they were doing these experiments and it was working but it scared a lot of people when you started talking about a cancer causing virus that you're putting into somebody's i mean in this case we're Rat. not putting it into anybody's body but theoretically this would be the applications of this right use this virus as a vehicle to introduce genes into something right and then How does that affect humans? So from these experiments, a lot of fear started to arise. Yes. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And if we're going to use a virus that causes cancer in rats as a vehicle to deliver genes, could it cause cancer in whatever we're delivering it to? I think that's a legit concern. (laughs) Perfectly legitimate concern. So legitimate that by 1974, scientists themselves, the scientists who were doing these experiments agreed to a worldwide moratorium on GMO research until they came up with some rules.
0: Is there a precedent
1: for that, do you think? Not that I could find. Yeah. Everybody agreed. Wait. This is wild. This is wild. Let's (laughs) talk about what we're doing before we move forward. So they put together this huge conference, the International Congress on Recombinant DNA Molecules. Recombinant DNA... Is when you take good, DNA hey guys, and, hey
0: guys good name
1: <laughs> good job is when you take DNA and put it into something else that's recombinant DNA that new DNA you've inserted so they put together this huge conference in Pacific Grove California it's now mainly known as the Asilomar as- Aslamar conference that's where it was held mm-hmm. it was like the conference hall of 1975 and they came up with these rules and it was all based on tiers of risk like what you're doing isn't particularly risky so you have to do you have to use these precautions you're messing with cancer viruses. That's really risky. You have to use all these precautions. So they came up with all these tiers and all these rules. And these are still the basis of all the guidelines we use to guide the research we do now. So scientists themselves said, let's take a step back and make sure we know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Now, since then, we've had countless experiments using genetic modification Mm -hmm. all over the world. And since then, we've also discovered so. And, and so far, there's no evidence that any of them have gone awry, because they've used all these guidelines and safety procedures and testing, double checking, and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've also discovered something new. So let me give you. This happens in nature, all on its own. Okay. Let me let me give you an example. Of what I'm talking about. About 8,000 years ago, there was a bacteria called Agrobacterium. This is still the main bacteria we use for this research today. It infected the root of a plant. And when it did that, it inserted some of its bacterial DNA into the plant DNA. Okay? Just naturally, that's what that bacteria just did. Okay. This made the roots swell really big. It also made it really starchy and sweet. And once humans found it, very edible, enjoyable. People really liked it. They loved these big, yummy roots so much that (laughs) they started... (laughs) I love these big, yummy roots. They started planting them again all over the place, clippings spread around the globe, people where everybody wanted to plant these yummy roots. Eventually, this plant became the seventh most important food in the world, according to the UN. It was like a staple crop. In the U.S., we mainly associate it with Thanksgiving, but in some parts of Africa, this is something that feeds people year-round. It's the sweet potato. The sweet potato is naturally GMO, and scientists are trying to figure out what all changed from the original one? They can't find a, a sweet potato around the globe that doesn't contain this bacterial DNA.
0: And now you know <laughs> the rest of the story.
1: So it's the sweet potato is GMO. It just naturally is GMO. It's got bacterial DNA in it, and we've been—I mean, that's all sweet potatoes everywhere. So if
0: someone says non-GMO sweet potatoes, they're lying.
1: It's—it just is. Blame Sorry. the bacteria. We didn't do it. We just liked it and kept eating it, and, and there you go. Um On the non-medical front since we've been doing all this research we have used gmo to bring us bacteria that break down oil In 1980, I think most people have kind of heard of that that there was a bacteria that could help break down oil and oil spills Um, there was a tomato called the flavor saver that was introduced in 1987.
0: It is a i'm looking at your notes here It's a bad spelling y'all. Yeah, like Yeah, it is it could use a few
1: few more vowels in there It was supposed to be firmer and more shelf-stable than other tomatoes I don't think it was very successful because people got freaked out by it
0: F-l-a-v-r s-a-v-r by the way in case you're curious. It's (laughs) rough
1: I don't know that its flavor actually changed. I think it was just firmer and more shelf-stable, but whatever Um, I guess it tasted better longer because it didn't rot in that sense anyway Uh, There's a kind of corn called BT corn that produces pesticides Mm -hmm. that came out in 1996. So obviously corn that kills the pests that would eat the corn. It doesn't sound very appetizing. I'll be honest, (laughs) Sidster, but okay. And a new apple, this was introduced pretty recently, called the Arctic apple that doesn't brown, or at least it browns much, much, much slower.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I know that sounds like a silly thing. Like, so you just made one that looks more aesthetically pleasing but how many people throw out browned apples unnecessarily? A lot of them. So the idea is that we're cutting back on food waste. If we make humans not so afraid. That of would be apples.
0: a good. That would be a good thing in the mackerel household, where we frequently buy produce and think, "Yeah, for sure, gonna eat all of these fruits and vegetables." <laughs> well, and then when you open the drawer, it's like, "Oh no!" <laughs>
1: an apple hasn't necessarily gone bad just because it turns brown, but everybody throws it out. Right. So something to decrease that would make people throw them out less and eat them more and everybody wins. Um, And I'm going to get into, by the way, there's obviously a second part to this episode where I talk about all of the controversy surrounding things like corn that produces pesticide and stuff. But I'm just giving you some examples of what GMO has brought us. On the medical front, genetically modified organisms and the technology that surrounds it has brought us humulin, which is a kind of insulin. In 1982, prior to that, we had to use uh, pig insulin. Mm-hmm. We made our own based on human insulin. We made human insulin, artificial human insulin, this way. Cool. Good job. Um, which is less likely to cause an allergic response than using another animal's insulin. Cool. Uh, the bacteria E. coli was used for that.
0: Bad for pigs, too. They can finally get back to enjoying <laughs> those sweet treats.
1: Um, it was the first recombinant medication on the market. That was the first time we used GMO technology to introduce a medication. Um, More recently, we've given goats uh, the ability to produce milk that contains antithrombin. So some people have a a deficiency of a certain clotting factor. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I mean, not a clotting factor, anti-clotting factor, I should say. It breaks up clots. Okay. Okay. Some people don't have it.
0: So they get clots.
1: Yes. So we have given, we have put DNA into goat cells that makes them produce milk. That makes antithrombin that we can then give to humans. Okay. Does that make sense?
0: Okay. I just think it's so wild. It's like, I gotta solve this clotting problem. Wait a minute. I got <laughs> it. What if the goats? Let me stop you there. No, no, no. Hear me out. What if the goats made a special milk that makes <laughs> it? Like, what? That seems like quite the leap, but okay.
1: They figured it out and they made the drug uh, A T R Y N, Atrin, Atron. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that, but the point is. You get their milk and you take this drug out of it and you can give it to people who need it. It's not an incredibly common condition, but if you have it, uh, you need medication for it. happy about those goats. Um, It doesn't hurt the goats, by the way. The goats seem fine, as far as, I mean, as far as I can tell. Cool. Um,
0: They're just happy to help. Goats feel really (laughs) indebted to us. They really are just pleased to be able to contribute.
1: We've made I mean, they
0: eat our cans (laughs) and they're happy to do it, but...
1: We've made a medication called EPO-alpha, which is used uh, to help simulate red blood cells for anemia for certain reasons, and we've made a Avastin, a cancer treatment, using know, this technology. Do
0: you know that if goats eat um, poison ivy, then your milk can give you an immunity poison ivy? Elizabeth Gilbert told me that.
1: Really? Yeah. It's true. I don't think I knew that.
0: Travis... The, we talked about Mim Bam once. The, the very good joke Travis made is that if, uh, goats e- <laughs> if a goat eats your passport, it can give you diplomatic immunity. <laughs> That's very good. That is good. But anyway, yeah, this, I don't know. It's farm wisdom, so it may be a bunch of hokum. Anyway, it sounds like GMO is good.
1: Well, I want to get into why the, all this sounds great. So why are people so afraid of it? I don't know, man. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. Okay. But first, let's head to the billing department. Let's go. The medicine's.
0: uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to Factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at Factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. All right, Sid. So um, with uh, you, you alluded to the fact that there is obviously some controversy tied to GMO stuff. So do you want to yes. get into that?
1: I'm going to get into the the controversy and then I'll give you some sides of it. So the the criticism of this and and to sum up where we are is that we figured out a way to take DNA from one thing and put it in another thing. And we are finding applications for that in medical science as well as food and industry and many other places. Right. So while so far, as I've mentioned, nothing has proven dangerous. We don't have cases of people eating flavor saver tomatoes and having bad reactions. These medications are like any other medications. They have risks and benefits and they work and there are people that shouldn't take them. And, you know, I mean, like any medicine we make ever. Right. So, so far, we don't have catastrophic results from all this research we've been doing since the 70s, right? But there are still questions. Obviously, the scientists themselves realize that because they agreed initially to stop what they were doing and figure out the best way to do it so the more we do the more we learn but there is fear there here are some questions if you use this antibiotic resistance marker that i talked about could you make a bunch of bacteria resistant to antibiotics accidentally and then we infect ourselves with that bacteria accidentally and then we (coughs) have created an antibiotic resistant plague is that possible I mean, so far we haven't done it. No, it's not probably possible. But is it possible is a fair question, I think. Could you make something an allergen? If you put DNA from one thing into another thing and you're allergic to the original thing, are you now allergic to this new thing? I don't know. That's the question. Or maybe you weren't allergic to either thing, but now that you've put them together, you've created an allergen. Is that possible? And what about if we're talking about food, is it less nutritious? Justin, you asked me that question.
0: I did. I didn't know.
1: Yeah. Is it less nutritious if you make it through GMO? If you put DNA into part of it, will it disrupt the DNA around it so that it doesn't create the same things it did before? Is it bad to eat unnecessary DNA? Can you ingest too much DNA? Is there a problem with DNA? I would say probably not. That sounds wild. These are all questions that have resulted from this. And, and I will tell you that so far, the answer to these questions is now everything seems fine. We haven't seen these problems. We have not, the, the the idea that we're going to introduce this antibiotic resistance as a marker and it's going to erupt from the lab. First of all, we'd have to use bacteria that were disease causing, which we generally don't. And I mean, there's so many safeguards against it. Um, the examples of the allergens that's why all the safety testing, that's why that conference and all the safety testing that resulted from it, that's why that exists. Mm. Is because there have been cases where in a lab we have seen some allergic responses to new products and animals. So they were never released. Mm-hmm. That The safety testing works. That's, that's why. And that's the same for anything we do in science, right? Before we put it into humans, we make sure that it's safe. So there are lots of things that aren't failures because we tested a medication or a vaccine or something out in a lab, found that it didn't work or it caused harm, and it never made it out of the lab. That's science for you. Um, So far, we don't think there's any reason to fear eating DNA. You eat DNA all the time. If you eat anything, plant, animal, anything. Yeah, DNA's in there. So don't worry about that. And if you're going to make the argument that you could make food less nutritious accidentally... You have to make the argument that you could also make food more nutritious accidentally. (laughs) Right. Because we have no idea. I mean, that's what you're saying. You don't know what it's going to do. Well, if you don't know what it's going to do, it could make it more nutritious.
0: That's true. So,
1: So far, these things haven't borne out, but it's fair to ask these questions. I think that's perfectly. That's what science is all about. Asking what will happen if we do this and then testing and double checking and triple checking and figuring out what the answers are. Um, one, one argument I would make on the positive side for GMO stems from Norman Borlaug. Now, mm. you know who Norman Borlaug is. I do. Do you want to tell everybody who he is? In case he they don't
0: was, know. I found out about him, uh, cause I think we watched an episode of Bull.
1: The Penn and Teller show with the name that has the curse in it that we can't, can't say. say. Um, <laughs> Bull crap. <a> Bull <laughs> crap
0: about, about, uh, <laughs> Uh, GMO stuff and uh, he was a scientist that I guess he created he found a way of using genetic modification to like feed lots and lots of people
1: so he didn't actually use genetic modification hmm. he used the old-fashioned method selective breeding selective breeding so he took a bunch of different wheat strains and bred them together it took like 6,000 different crosses of wheat before he was able to, what he was trying to do, he was a geneticist and a plant pathologist. He worked back in the 40s. And he was trying to make uh, wheat that was disease resistant and would grow better to help feed starving populations. That was the reason. There are parts of the world where people are starving. He was trying to help feed them. And by making a hardier wheat that was resistant to disease. And the the big problem is that they were long stalks which are good because long wheat stalks can get more sunlight, but it's bad because the tops would get heavier as they grow too fast Mm -hmm. because his his fertilizer was actually really good too, so it made him grow really fast, but then the tops would get heavy and they'd fall over. So he helped make these dwarf wheat strains like that would be really short and hardy and grow really fast and feed more people. So he did this. This was obviously very successful, um, the yields in in the fields where he grew this wheat doubled as a result of all this, meaning that he could grow more wheat per square acreage or whatever right. of farmland, right?
0: Especially important in areas where there's not as much like
1: choice. Arable land.
0: Arable land. Yeah,
1: yeah exactly. And the, the other part of that is if you can increase the yield per acreage of arable land, you don't cut down so many trees to get more farmland. Mm. So you help hit one of his big Uh, Pushes was to help fight deforestation. It's not good to go wipe out a forest so you can grow more wheat there Instead, let's get more wheat from the land. We're growing it on that was his that was his hypothesis So anyway, he did this he won a Nobel Prize for it in 1970. He Greatly improved food security in places like India and Pakistan He probably saved a billion people from starvation worldwide probably
0: the best Person, like you, could make an argument for like the best person.
1: He's he's one of the unsung heroes of history. I mean, he is sung, but not enough. Let me say that undersung heroes of history. Right. Um. He yes, he has saved, like I said, a billion people from starvation. Um. Now he did it, like I said, using the old fashioned method. He crossed different wheats until he figured out what this best hardy wheat was. But he has said. We have to figure out a way. His his solution to world hunger was increase crop yield. You have to get more food from the land you already have. The solution is not to cut down more trees and get more land. And this is important because it is expected that by the year 2050, we're going to need 70% more food to feed the world population. I've seen estimates that like by 2100, we could have 11 billion people on the planet. Right. We need more food. You're either going to cut down more trees, or hope the population decreases, which that's a terrible thing. That's not nice. To hope? No, let's not hope that. I mean, that's really what people have said. Like either that, or we there's some sort of plague that wipes out a big swath of the population, and then we don't have to feed so many people, um, or we figure out how to get more yield from the land we've got. And he has said GMO is the way to do this. The more disease resistant crops we have, the more uh, faster growing higher producing crops you've got the more people you feed and you don't Mm -hmm. uh have starvation so that's on the positive end on the negative end i would draw attention to monsanto yeah now most people have heard of monsanto kind of just vaguely as this like big scary corporation that does bad things correct and doesn't know all the details and i had to read a lot about monsanto to figure out the whole i i was kind of in that camp I'd seen right. them in a documentary, <laughs> um, so a lot of a lot of the criticism of GMO gets kind of tangled with criticism of Monsanto. Monsanto is a corporation that's act, it's actually been around since 1901. It originally made like food additives, like it put caffeine and saccharin in things. Um, now they're an agrochemical and biotech company, and they developed an herbicide called Roundup. You've probably heard of Roundup. Sure. They then made a GMO plant that was resistant to Roundup good so it was called roundup ready seeds okay so now and they they've patented both so now you have seeds that will grow something that won't be killed by roundup but you can and then you sell the roundup to people so that they can kill all the weeds around it so you can see where Scummy, people but like right, capitalism right you can see where people are not thrilled about this and sure. since then they've been expanding the kinds of foods that are gmo and they've been met with a ton of controversy as a result of this now some of this is over their business practices and Concern about environmental impact they sell you seeds and you have to buy new seeds every year You can't just replant the seeds you get from the plants. You grew last year. Mm-hmm. That's they will fine you for that That's illegal. And so they're really strangling Farmers if for instance a drought happens and they lose their whole crop right then they don't have any money Maybe they owe Monsanto a bunch of money and they can't buy new seeds and it's I mean obviously we see the problem there Um If your seeds uh, get mixed up with non-GMO seeds, let's say you're a farm that doesn't want to grow GMO food because now there's been so much backlash, there's a lot of negative publicity, so you don't want to grow GMO stuff. What if those GMO seeds end up in there? I mean, it's not like we can control where seeds go. Winds blow seeds around. It's supposed to happen. That's part of how seeds get places. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of concern about contamination of GMO and non-GMO, and even if that's not inherently dangerous, it is viewed as dangerous by some in the public, and it could hurt your sales. And there are certain countries that have uh, specific restrictions on importing GMO foods. So if you accidentally throw some GMO seeds in with your non-GMO, maybe you can't export anything to Europe after that. Right. So... Um, they also, Monsanto also produced some pretty unfriendly stuff in the past, like Agent Orange. Not great. No. So I think all of this gets tied up in the view of genetic modification technology in general. Because if you feel negatively towards Monsanto, and Monsanto is an agrotech company that specializes in GMO stuff you start to feel very negatively towards GMO products and suspicious of what they're doing. Right. Um, Even if maybe the two aren't intrinsically related. Does that make sense? Sure. So I think that's a lot of where the negative side of it comes from. And I think you can absolutely be against Monsanto and their business practices. You would not be alone. In 2013, there was a worldwide march against Monsanto the company Mm -hmm. Um, so you know I think it's totally fair to criticize and many would uh, the way that they do business but I think it's important to separate the GMO technology and look at it for what it is Mm -hmm. from Monsanto Um, and, and in order to do that we have to get to the point that GMO so far has not proven to be inherently dangerous like I said that doesn't mean that you can't ask questions and wonder if there are risks to them but gmo products are subject to rigorous safety testing the stuff that has been caught that has been perceived to maybe cause danger has never made it to the market Mm -hmm. Um, and so far the stuff that is out there food medicine the like isn't hurting anybody we don't have any cases of people being harmed by this stuff and we don't have any scientific reason to think that it is harmful it's dna I mean that's what we're putting in there. We're putting DNA in there, and you eat DNA all the time. Um, we are doing things like labeling food now, whether or not it's GMO. That's actually that was passed. That law was passed in the U.S. a couple years ago. It hasn't been implemented though, so it's going to be pretty soon. All your food will have to be labeled to say whether it's GMO or not. I don't really know if that's helpful in the long run. I think. Oh, that, I
0: know. You don't know because I know <laughs> that it's not. I'll yeah I mean it's not Uh,
1: the problem with that is that I think labeling something GMO makes it seem like it
0: needs to be labeled for your safety yes yes I think so too Sydney
1: and I I don't know that that's necessarily so far we don't have any scientific evidence that it's dangerous Um,
0: it's also okay I, I understand there are many <laughs> conflicting different viewpoints on this. It makes me so angry. I know. I know. We know if you want, if you don't want to support a corporation like Monsanto, like I think you should have the right to do that. Mm-hmm. The frustrating, sure. the frustrating thing is for most people, when they see non GMO, what they see is natural, healthier, better for my family. You're being marketed to it's, it's yes. like you're you're being a sucker and and having this this used against you because you like you're busy and you're living your life and you don't have the time to like Sydney for a week, look into genetically modified stuff to see, because you have a podcast to do about it. Like it's, it's just you're being marketed to and, and it's not, and it's fear mongering of the worst sort. And the thing is, the thing that kills me about it is that people who otherwise would think themselves very pro science and very, sort of like informed and smart about this stuff gets suckered in by it. And it breaks my heart.
1: I, I think a good uh, corollary is the, do you know what the word organic literally means? Carbon containing. Yes. But somehow if you put organic on something, it is supposedly perceived as better for you. We are organic. I would not recommend eating either myself or Justin. No. Um, but the, I think GMO. You could eat
0: me. No. <laughs> I don't think you would regret it. I think you'd be in for some nice marbling, <laughs> some not too much of that stringy, gross muscle. You know, it's just a very flavorful cut of meat. What muscle I'm saying is, is like, it's, we, well, it's, I won't get into it's that. The <laughs> confla- it's the conflation that bothers me. I'm not going to get up to some box about it. Whatever. No. I, Do your own thing, but like, It's the conflation of like the farm to table movement that I think that's cool buying local produce like i think that's cool that you want to do that don't conflate it with like these these words mean something like it means something and it's important for like the earth like if you make this stuff if you a smart person make genetically modified stuff scary enough that people won't eat it like you are like endangering a lot of people like in, in a broad not directly but like in a broad scale It's important that people know that this food is safe because it's the food that we're going to have to eat for everyone.
1: Well, and it has posed problems because the introduction, even of what Norman Borlaug was doing, even before you get into genetic modification, just the artificial breeding and that kind of stuff, uh, selective breeding, there there was a lot of pushback to that in certain parts of Africa when he was trying to introduce these technologies and these methods. And this is this is how we save lives, this saves people, this is how they don't die of starvation. And a lot of the concern over this artificial, quote unquote, method uh, resulted in those techniques not being adopted right away. And every minute that you don't, you know, if you find a method to feed more people, every minute you wait to employ it, more people die of starvation. So it has caused, problems in adopting technologies that work. And it probably has resulted in more lives being lost to starvation than would have been necessary. Um, And there's other reasons, not just food. We keep talking about food. I want to get back to medicine. What could GMO do? We don't know everything yet. We know we made insulin, right? We made antithrombin. We've made the hepatitis B vaccine. We used to get The antigen that provokes the immune response that makes you immune to hepatitis B when you get the shot, you can inject it with something that makes your immune system make antibodies, right? Mm -hmm. We used to get that from people who have hepatitis B's blood. Now, that does not, if that, if that doesn't seem risky to you. It does. Right? Mm -hmm. So... Don't we think it's better that now we can artificially create that antigen using recombinant DNA? It's called the recombinant hepatitis B vaccine. We, it, is, it is a GMO vaccine, but it protects you against hepatitis B. And I think even just hearing that on the surface without understanding all the science, doesn't that sound safer than getting it from the blood of an infected individual? From anybody's blood, not just people with hepatitis B. I mean, from taking somebody else's blood unnecessarily and putting it in into yourself. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, factor eight for hemophiliacs, we have made for people with hemophilia. Sorry, we have made that using GMO technology and uh, the clot buster. If you've ever heard of that for strokes, TPA, we made that. Um, so there's stuff we've already done with GMO on the vaccine front. Recombinant DNA is probably the future of that. There are all kinds of things we're working on, like the uh, the Zika vaccine. Yeah, that's using. GMO technology uh, do you remember Zmap the treatment experimental treatment that was used for the Ebola outbreak yeah that was made using GMO tobacco plants that created a drug um, oh no tobacco what can't you do they're currently working on an oral hepatitis B vaccine so the the shot that we get for hepatitis B in this country it's not so it has to be stored in a in a refrigerator Mm -hmm. So the cold supply chain that's necessary to take a vaccine like the hepatitis B vaccine and send it all over the world. It's hard in some parts of the developing world. It's hard to get that vaccine to the people who need it. So something like an oral vaccine could be that didn't have to be uh, kept refrigerated. And then you don't have the medical personnel who need, you you know, to give the injection and you don't need the sterile needles and all that stuff that goes with an injection. Could be life saving. Right now, we're doing that using GMO corn. It's kind of the same idea with the two polio vaccines.
0: Uh, where there was one that was like alive and the, one that was killed, right? And
1: one that was a shot and one that was oral. The oral one has spread all over the world mm-hmm. because it's easier to get that oral vaccine to parts of the developing world where finding the medical personnel, the sterile needles, the refrigerator, all that can be cumbersome. Mm-hmm. An oral vaccine is a lot easier. Right. So they're working on a hepatitis B vaccine, an oral vaccine that would be amazing. We could get the vaccine to places we haven't been able to effectively penetrate before. Um, There's even a project working on malaria resistant mosquitoes. Cool. Genetically engineer mosquitoes that can't get malaria. And then if the mosquito can't get malaria, it can't give you malaria.
0: And that's great for the mosquitoes too. I (laughs) think they'll be so stoked.
1: Um, Obviously that's not anything that's happening now. That's just kind of a theoretical, let's see if we can make this happen. You know, let's do some experiments. But There were 216 million cases of malaria in 2016. There were 445,000 deaths from malaria in 2016. Mm -hmm. What if we could stop spreading malaria through mosquitoes? Imagine that. Imagine the worldwide impact if we could do that. And GMO technologies are how we're figuring that out. They're also using gene therapy, which could be the treatment, the key to cancer treatment. Introduce healthy DNA into cancer cells, into, into your cells to target the cancer cells better. Maybe we don't have to use more dangerous treatments like chemotherapy because of gene therapy instead. Um, all kinds of inborn genetic disorders or metabolic disorders, maybe gene therapy could be the key to that. This is all using recombinant DNA. This is all GMO technology. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Let alone in the developing world, 840 million people are chronically undernourished and they survive on less than 8,000 calories a day. We need more food. There's going to be more people. I mean, unless you're hoping for something horrible to happen, there's going to be more people and we got to feed them.
0: And listen, I get it. I get it. It's been a rough couple years, but like that's not the answer. Come on. We could do better than that.
1: We're working on something, uh, golden rice, which produces vitamin A. Sounds delicious. <laughs> it, uh, It could, because vitamin A deficiency is actually, it's responsible for 2 million children dying a year vitamin A deficiency, just getting them vitamin A and golden rice, which is enriched with vitamin A has been thought to be one solution to that. It's a GMO product. It's still in testing and there's been a ton of resistance to it because of fear of GMO technologies and what these could do, what these seeds could do if introduced into other populations. And maybe there are better ways to give vitamin A and all these other arguments. But the point is at the end of all this, The potential of GMO technology, if used appropriately with the right safety testing and guidelines and and rigorous, you know, um, rigorous concern for what could go wrong, looking for that, stopping any experiment that isn't working and all the things that we already do in science, all the guidelines that are already in place using that GMO technology could change the world. It already has. And it could continue to do so. It could save lives through medical applications. There's a bacteria that might eat plastic. That was just in the news the other day. Through recombinant DNA, they found a way to make a bacteria that helps break down plastics. What if we could break down all the plastics that are just floating around in our oceans right now?
0: But what after what about after it's full? It a little plastic in the ocean. Now it's coming for our plastic. And I love some of my plastic. <laughs> and I can it's s- eating my Xbox, Sydney. Oh no. Oh no! The bacteria's done ate my Xbox right up.
1: I can see the fear for an ice nine type situation with right. that. I can see that. I understand, but that's why, as with all science that's new and that we're going to apply to humans and to the environment, we take our time. We do things with with thoughtful, uh, you know, concern and purpose. We use proper safety standards and guidelines. We don't rush anything. And honestly, in Norman Borlaug's view. The more publicly funded this research is, the more we work as a society of humans to do it and not necessarily as a corporation who has money in the game, the better our results are going to be.
0: I don't mean to get worked up about this. I realize I got a little frustrated. It's <laughs> I, The only thing I would say is if you hear someone talking about GMO stuff, just push them on it. Just put, Just say like, and what's the problem with that? Until... You can get to the nut of the thing. If you want to make a choice, if it's, like, about, like, we should have better labeling for food, like, you should be, you should have the right as a person to know where your food comes from. Sure. I don't disagree with that. Absolutely. Like, I think you should absolutely have that. And I understand that, like, for some people, GM is, like, a convenient shorthand. Um, I would say that, like, if that is your standard for things that you will not support in this world, you are probably putting yourself in for some long days of research some people are down to do that and i i completely get it don't like lump this incredible technology in with the garbage that the corporations have done Mm -hmm. when we need it to like feed and save people and give people medicine it's just
1: i think that's it i mean i that's why i don't really inherently have a problem with the labeling of the food it won't change what i do I'm gonna. Eat, I eat GMO food. I will continue to eat GMO food. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I, I got the it. hepatitis B vaccine. Uh, our daughter was born two months ago. She got a hepatitis B vaccine when she was born, and she got a hepat- her second booster yesterday. I will continue to employ recombinant DNA in my life and in my family's life. I don't have a problem with it because science tells me it's safe <clears> so <throat> far. And honestly, we do riskier things than consume DNA. I drink alcohol sometimes alcohol is known to be riskier than any of these substances we're talking about um if you ride in a car you're probably putting yourself at more risk than you are by eating uh gmo corn that being said (coughs) if you don't want to do that fine that's totally your prerogative just just know why you're doing it and don't operate based on fear of science operate based on a uh, completely informed opinion that you still don't want to eat GMO food, fine, absolutely, that's your right, and you should be able to do that. But I, I think that this kind of amorphous fear of anything that sounds artificial is not helpful, and in this case, could cost lives.
0: Um, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you've, uh, 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 you you've found yourself in, in entertained and edified, um, which is what we strive for every week
1: i'm ready for the emails
0: but don't send them like <laughs> honestly yeah, i mean like don't send them um who knows uh I, unless you want to i don't know it's your right i mean uh, you can That's fine We can it's fine, can, it's fine. But we but did
1: the fluoride one yeah if you're, if you're nasty about it if you're
0: nasty about it on twitter like you're only get blocked
1: yeah uh, that's true
0: um just be you tell you what put as much work into Sydney put into researching it before you respond back to her How's that for a gold standard? Um, thank you so much for uh, listening to the show I don't mean to be a right at the end. I know we're talking to a very small percentage of our listenership that wants to get spicy and uh, uh, For the for the great number of you. Thank you for your continuing support and kindness
1: Yeah, my hope is that for a lot of people you've heard a lot about GMO But you haven't had the time to do all the research for yourself or you have done research and you found what I found, which is a lot of different um, opinions based on their own interests. So hopefully I have helped to elucidate a little bit about what GMO means and what it does. That's my uh, hope.
0: Um, I wanted to say a quick thank you to some folks that uh, sent some stuff to our PO box. Uh, Topper sent a delightful book called Princess Ninja. You can find that on Amazon that Topper wrote, and it is great. Uh, yeah, Virgin- I've read it
1: to Charlie like every night. <laughs>
0: uh Virginia and Erica uh, and uh Elise sent us a, a variety of handcrafted things that are beautiful. Uh we got a lovely quilt from feliciagutierrez.com. I mean, that's Felicia's website. Felicia's also a person. Uh uh we got dice bags and recipes from Beckett and Emily and a, a, a book from Carrie. So thank you to everybody for um for those gifts. That's very kind of you. Um, and thanks to Maximum Fun Network, we had a great drive. Thank you for your support, by the way. If you donated to our show, um, we and uh, uh, we we met our goal for Max Fun, and um, it was a great drive. And we appreciate you being patient and listening to our promos, and for your continued support. And thanks to taxpayers for letting us use your song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Month, But until then, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm
1: Sydney McElroy. And as always,
0: don't drill a hole in your head.